Jesus, you are an awesome God, so awesome, and you love us so much, and it's, it's, it's pretty crazy to think that, you know, at the end of the day, you are a reward, and that the greatest thing in heaven is that you're there, and that we get to be with you, and if we have any doubt in us right now that if we're in heaven or not, we pray that we would be ensured of one thing, and that, that you died for us, Lord, that you love us. And he did it in love. You didn't have to do any of these things. You came off of your throne to a form of a slave. And God, you know us. If we look at ourselves, and ah, we wouldn't even die for someone like us. So when we pray, we would be moved. And when we are moved, it wouldn't just be by emotion, but there would be some type of reflection and action. And even through the words tonight, would we just be so ecstatic in what you're doing right now, Lord, would we be moved by compassion that you had for us, that we would have compassion on others. We wouldn't look down on others. We wouldn't be better than others, but we'd always uplift each other as you lifted us, God. So even now, anybody who has you know, just a lowly heart, God, you're there with us right now. Would you mend those hearts, mend those feelings, and let us just rejoice because the kingdom is, is just here with us, God, and you're coming. And you already won. I praise in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Everybody wants to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we will be going through verses 12 through 20. And the Lord's word reads, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the kings of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blasphemy. Keep those books open, keep your attention on it, and let's pray. 
every breath, every second that's passing right now is one breath closer to either glory and as we sung, walking forever with our King or not. Every minute, every hour, every day that passes by is one day, hour, minute closer to seeing you, King of the Ages, face to face. And in that moment, whether you call us home or you return right now to get us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you, Jesus Christ, are Lord. And that would be the most horrific day for some and the most heavenly for others. It is my sincere prayer right now that you would awaken and alert us to the word because it is your word and because you've given us another evening of grace to enter into it. So as we get into the Bible right now, God, together as a family, we pray that you'd put the Bible in us. And we pray this in your name and all God's children said. Um, and now we're going to see, okay, why does he do that? But then also as we walk through his personal testimony or his conversion, I hope this, that it would lead and help all of us to do this tonight. When we study this together, reflect on your own conversion. Reflect on your own personal testimony. If you don't know a convert conversion, it's a transformation. One thing to another. You're crossing from death to life. That's conversion. Not in Christ, in Christ. Non-believer, Christian. Anyone who places faith in Christ, the Christ of the Bible, you are a convert. You've been born again, regenerated, John 3. But it's interesting, especially in our day and age, understanding conversion is very confusing sometimes. Right? And this is why Paul began the letter with, you need gospel clarity. And so tonight, the title of the message is, true, and I put that on purpose, opposed to false, true gospel ministry. All right? Let's pray. Lord, help us. I thank you so much that my brothers and sisters like you. They love you and they like you. You're, you're getting their affections as I hear them share observation. Like they're in it. It's like I'm talking to someone who likes what we're talking about. And it's hard for me to cut observation short because so many people are seeing things. And for you, Holy Spirit, to do that in our body right now, thank you. Thank you for making this a place where you're at the center. As Brother Trevor prayed earlier, you're the one that we're here for. You're the one we're exalting. And so you're really real. So please, really interact with us. You already have been, but do it now through the preaching and teaching of your word. Help me to get out of the way and let the Bible speak for itself. Only use me. Use me as an instrument and a vocal cord, a piece, to just speak the word of God. Because this is what we all need to hear. This is what we're here for. Jesus and only Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So I think we're already 
um, by way of observation, pretty familiar with the context and the setting. All right? So that's good. Um, now, raise your hand if you've ever been given um, bad directions. Okay? Driving. You didn't know they were bad directions until you reached the destination. Keep your hand up. You ever been given one of those? Okay, so my, own, my, per, my most recent personal experience of this, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a new golfer, and I'm enjoying it, and I really am new, um, but I'm, I'm coming to a place now where I, I enjoy it enough where I'm having the courage to venture out and try different golf courses and play with strangers, um, and so I'm kind of like flapping my wings in the golf world. And, I, and so as I flap my wings and I go and play places, uh, there's certain country clubs that get talked about all the time. And so to censor and, and not put a bad light on any country club, I'm going to make up the name of this country club. But So this is the name of the country club. Um, like I'm playing, and like I'm going to call it the Majestic Mahalo Country Club, okay? That's not a real country club, so don't Google it. This is just to protect the name of this actual country club, okay? So anyway, I'm, I'm going around, and I'm like hearing about the Majestic Mahalo Country Club like all the time. And I, like, I'll hear guys like in the tea in front of me like, oh, bro, yeah, I went down to the Majestic the other day. It was so good. The grass was this, this. And then like uh, the next week, I hear this other person like, oh, next week, let's go to the Majestic Country Club, Ma Majestic Mahalo Country Club. And I'm like, so in my mind, I'm like, where is the Majestic Mahalo Country Club? And, and so I'm putting pieces together of what people are saying. Okay, I'm like, so I'm like, okay, it's, a, the Majestic, it's in Mahalo, somewhere in Mahalo. So I got to go look. Up Mahalo, and, and so I finally had the courage to ask one guy, I was like, oh, so I hear about the Majestic Mahalo Country Club all the time. Like, have you played there? He's like, oh, yeah, it's so good. And he, he starts going off about the grass and the green. And I, so I'm new, so I'm not going to sound like I know the verbiage, but it's just really pretty. It's like really nice grass and stuff, and I'm not used to playing on really nice grass. So I'm just thinking, I am going to check out. And so I was asking him for directions. I was like, oh, dude, I've never, I'm so new. I've never been. How do you get there? He's like, bro, it's easy. Majestic Mahalo Country Club. You just go down Mahalo side, and it's right there, Mahalo side. Okay, I'm going Mahalo side. So the next week comes, I'm excited because I'm going to go play on the Majestic Mahalo Country Club. So I go Mahalo side, and I'm looking. I see the first country club I see, and I'm excited. I'm like, there it is. Here we are, Mahalo side. And I have all of these images of experiences that people have told me they had at the Majestic Mahalo from the check-in, from the starter. You get your... You get your stuff, you get the cart, and you just drive out, and it's just gorgeous and beautiful. And, and I have that image in my mind. And so I park, and I'm like, whoa, I scored because it's kind of empty. Like, the lot's empty. I'm going to be first in line. And I walk in, super excited. And I go up, and I'm like, okay, where's the starter? And I'm looking around, and I'm like, I am here. I'm here. I'm at the Majestic Mahalo, and, and then I see this young girl come out, and, and I'm like, hey, do I need to reserve a tea time and this and that? Because that's what you say when you're a golfer, right? You know, especially at a respectable place, you, you don't just show up, and she's like, eh? <laughs> like, I would like to play on the Majestic Mahalo Country Club course, you know? Like, he's like, go. How much? Oh, yeah, I pay. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, okay, maybe just, you know, that staff that day, you know. And so anyway, I finally get to the first tee box. In my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm new. But what is this? You know, like, I'm just like, this, there's weeds. 
It's like muddy. And I'm like looking down. And I paid. I'm in. And if you're familiar with golf at all, if you pay for 18 holes, you're playing 18 holes. And so for four hours, I am playing on the worst golf cart I have ever played in my life. Like, like I might as well just stay home and play in my yard. No, it was, it was seriously that. So anyway, that was my four-hour grueling experience. And to top it off, it started to rain. And now I'm like trudging through the mud. And it, so anyway, by the, by, the, by the ninth hole, I'm like halfway through, I'm already hating the majestic Mahalo Country Club. And worse, I am hating all the bradas that said this was the best course they've ever been on. Like, I'm hating them. I'm bitter. I don't want to see them anymore. Um, when I do see them, I'm going to tell them what's what, you know, because it's just like, dude, you set me up. Like, what is this? And so, anyway, months go on. I forget about it. My truck breaks down. It has to go into the shop, and it just so happens the guy that's, the, me the, the mechanic that's working on my truck, he's like a super good golfer. He's played all the golf courses. And so, anyway, I'm just like, hey, so, Majestic Mahalo Country Club. He's like, yeah. Bro, that's, the, that's one of the top notch, because it's so, and I'm like, what? And I'm like, and he's like, no, no, tell me. Okay, so wait, what are you talking about? Where did you play? I was like, I played at the Majestic Mahalo. He's like, where was it? Mahalo side. And he goes, wait. Did you go to the Mahalo Country Club? I was like, yeah. He's like, dude. Majestic Mahalo Country Club is not the country club of Mahalo. You went to the country club of Mahalo. You need to go to the Majestic Mahalo Country Club. And I'm like, what's the dip? You know, and I was so mad. And, and But here's the thing. It was a slight switch of the word. Is the country club of Mahalo versus the Mahalo Country Club. It was like a slight, a slight twist, a slight fraction in the instruction in the direction a and, and and on my end not enough careful investigation to do my homework well enough to make sure I'm on the right track to the majestic Mahalo Country Club in Mahalo I just was like Mahalo side we go and I have all these beautiful pictures in my mind here's the thing though that's just over a silly game of golf not saying that golf is silly but a silly game for me that's over just like a, a, a leisure, hopefully pleasurable experience, which turned into a crisis and, and character building for me. But now think of this on a big cosmic level when it comes to the Bible and false direction, false instruction. You see, bad directions will lead you to a bad destination. And when you get to the bad destination, it's going to result in a bad experience. You see, in Ephesus right now, there's a lot of false teaching going around of who Jesus is and what he's done. So it's sending people on a path that is bad. They're going down a road, and they're on a destination to what they think is salvation. But because the instructions, because the directions were wrong or faulty or phony or twisted, that's what we saw in the first part of this letter, this is why. This is why it's so serious, because it's leading people now with bad directions, and they're going to get to the wrong destination, all the while thinking it's going to be bomb. 
God's going to be so good. He's going to be everything that all these people have been telling me. All the testimonies, all the, all the, the, the crazy crybaby stories that I've heard about of how good Jesus is and good God is. But here's the problem. If from the very get-go in your walk with God, you get bad directions, you're going to find yourself in a wrong destination. And the very sad part is some people will be on that path on, with those directions until to the very end. And then Matthew 7 says, I never knew you. Or you ever have friends or people in your family say, oh, Christianity, yeah, been there, done that, tried that already. Shinogo, it doesn't work. I tried already. Well, here's the thing, and here's what Paul is pleading, where, okay, Timothy, false teaching, bad directions, people got to a bad destination, whatever it is they're trying and tasting, they're not tasting the real stuff. See, Timothy, I want them to taste and see that God is good. I, I want them to know that the true gospel is truly gospel. Like, it's truly good. It's that good. And you know what? Let me remind you by my testimony. See, we just talked about last week a bunch of false stuff, false teachings, and it's leading people on a false path. Does that break your heart? Does it break your heart when your friends and your family talk about Christianity and you know what they're saying? That's not right. That's not what the Bible says. Well, it ought to break our hearts because they're now on a path and they have a, they're, they're on a, they're on a, 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 a they have directions that's going to lead them to the wrong destination. And they've probably tasted the wrong experience. So a lot of my friends who tell me, oh yeah, I tried that already. Well, in my mind, in my heart, I know this because the Bible tells me, no, if you truly tried Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, you, you would not be saying stuff like that because, dude, he's good. I'll tell you straight up, and I tell people when I'm evangelizing to them all the time, if there was anything better in the world than Jesus, I'd do it right now. I would take the best thing in the world. If, if there's something better than Jesus, I'd go for it. But there is nothing. And I'm fully convinced of this. Because Christ is so good. And in light of who I was, and in spite of who I was and what I've done, Christ saved me. And he's transformed me. This is the heart and soul of Paul's testimony. And so the reason why, let me suggest, this is not so random that Paul is going, now dipping into his personal testimony, is now he's trying to, okay, I'm telling you, Timothy, stop these false teachers. But here, also, look at me. I'm an example. I am a product of true gospel ministry. I am someone who's been truly transformed and changed by the love of Jesus Christ because I see clearly of who he is and what he's done. And oh, Timothy, I so badly want all the people in Ephesus to taste what we're tasting. Is that how you talk about your Lord? Because this is when we study this. I want to draw out these words that Paul uses because he talks like a man who has never been the same since Christ. He talks about Jesus like an obsessed man. He talks about our king in such glorious terms that it ought to make any person who's really reading this say, I want to know him. I want to be with him. I want him to be with me. So this tonight is an example of true gospel ministry. And it's often, I want you to connect the dots as we study this. If we're going to grow in godliness, we have to have true, verse 1 to 2, true gospel relationships. Verse 3 to 11, true gospel clarity. 
And if we have clear gospel teaching in our church and preaching, it's going to result in true, not false, true gospel ministry, which is a result of true conversions happening. There's going to be lots and lots of stories, maybe not as drastic as Paul, but it's the same story. Verse 15, the powerhouse. Christ came in the world to save sinners. Who's a sinner? Raise your hand. Well, I love this because Christ came for us. Love that. Let's, let's walk through this conversion. We're going to just see three points and we'll be powerful. Verse 12, I thank him who's given me strength. Now, really quick, I want to point out this is a personal testimony. Five times he says I, right? I thank him. I received. I had acted. I am the. Four times he uses the word me. Me, strength, me, faithful, me. So obviously here he's talking about himself. Just want to make that clear. I know that's clear already, but just saying it. Six times he references to Christ or Jesus and Lord. So big, just looking at this, I hope for us to see that a true gospel conversion or a transformation or a change, if someone's truly saved, you want to put it in other words, but true gospel conversion, this is the point for your notes, is Christ-centered. Someone said in observation times how often he looks back to Jesus. This is so important. Now, remember, I said it already, but this is by way of contrast from false teachers, which produces false faith. So here, Timothy, here's an example or a result of true gospel preaching making a true convert. And he's using himself as an example. Again, he starts, he says, I thank who? Him. Who's him? Christ. Now, I love the whole idea, the concept of thanks. I said this at our Thanksgiving service. In order for a true, proper thanks to be, you have to be clear on what was done. You know, you can just walk up to someone and say, mahalo. Mahalo for the instructions to the mahalo majestic country club. You know, you cannot just, you have to, you have to be, resp- um, you're saying thank you because you know what was done for you. So when he says, I thank him, that's gospel already. That's so Christ-centered. Thank him for what, Paul? Well, he keeps going. I thank him who has given me, given now, not earned. He's given me strength. Strength. I love that. Christ strengthens Paul. Ephesians 4, it says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Verse 4, uh, Philippians 4, right, 13. Many people love this verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I just want to point out, where's the attention going? Him. He gives me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he, Brian brought this up in observation, judged me faithful. He made me faithful and appointed me to his service. He did it. I didn't self-appoint myself. You see how Paul is so Christ-centered when he's talking about his testimony. I thank him. He made me faithful. He appointed me. Though formerly I, and he just lets it rip. He doesn't hold back. I was a blasphemer. I used my words to talk bad about God and his people. I blasphemed. I slandered. I persecuted. I didn't just say bad about God and his people. I did bad to God and his people. This is who he was. Insolent opponent. 
Meaning, so not just in his words and in his actions, but even in his attitude. He was anti-God and his people. Insolent opponent is someone who's arrogantly insulting someone. You ever see those kind of guys or those kind of people? They don't just like insult you. They insult you with like an arrogant, like, that's what Paul was towards God and his people. I don't, I mean, just to remind you, remember who this guy was. Remember in Acts, Acts 9, Saul was breathing threats of murder against God's disciples. That's who he was. Breathing threats of murder. Every breath was, oh, I hate you. This is crazy. Blasphemer, persecutor. I mean, he dragged, on the road to Damascus, do you remember what he was on, his, on the road to? Kill Christians. And on that same road to go kill Christians, that's when Christ came. This is crazy. This is who he formerly was. You just have to think about it and remember and reflect on that. Because all of us in here have a former life. Or maybe you're still in it. All of us in here. Do you remember that life, Christian? What, how you used to think and feel and not feel? See, this is an important part of our conversion story, our personal testimony. We have to be very aware and keen of us and our former life of sin. And this is just how bad to the bone Paul was. And then he reads on and he says, and I love this, in spite of all this, Timothy, but, I love that. I love the yets, the howevers, the buts. This is the turning point. This is the pivotal moment. But I received, not earned, not achieved. This is big and important to notice because when you listen to people share their testimony, do you hear stuff like this or do you hear I achieved? Like what Jairus was talking about. I used to be so, but then I was so. Wow, inspirational. Paul's way of telling testimony Personal, his personal testimony is so different. It's all Christ. I received. I'm a recipient. I was given mercy. All of what I've just told you, who I was, what did I deserve? Death and worse than death. Torture forever. But I was given mercy. I wasn't given what I deserved. And then he says this. Though I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, he's not making an excuse. He's making a statement. Because obviously he says in the next verses that he's a sinner. So he's not saying, oh, you know, but I was given mercy because I, I never know. No, he's stating, I just, this is what I was. I was, an, I was ignorant. The way Jesus prayed, Lord, have mercy on them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're ignorant. The way Peter preached in Acts 3, brothers, I know that you guys were ignorant, meaning Paul was sincerely against Jesus and his people and the Christians. And he was sincerely, passionately trying to worship God. But he was just sincerely wrong. He was so ignorant of who Christ was. He was, he was just as twisted and off as these false teachers. He was so confused as to who Jesus was. He did not know. He was ignorant. But he still received mercy. And then he goes on, verse 4. 
and the grace of who? Our Lord. You see how he's always going back to Christ. First mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. Is that in your testimony? If you've ever written it out, you should write it out. That's going to be my encouragement application to you tonight. Write out your testimony. And if you're writing it out, you ought to have somewhere in there, I was formerly this, but the Bible told me I'm a sinner. And it showed me my wrong. And there is stuff I'm doing, even tonight perhaps, that I know is against God and his rule. But... He's not treated me as my sins deserve, says the psalmist. I've received mercy, and then it doesn't stop there. He says, and the grace. So I did not receive what I deserve, but then I was given what I don't deserve, kindness. Oh, the grace. Amazing grace. How what? Sweet. Is it sweet? Does your soul taste the sweetness of the grace of God? Because Paul sure does. The way his pen is going, the way his ink is running, it's just so like, how you see mercy and the grace of our Lord. It's overflowing. That is a word of abundance. It's a spilling over the cup. Why? Because he knows where sin increased. Grace abounds all the more. And man, I'm a sinner. That's what Paul's saying in his testimony. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Beautiful. With faith and love. Faith, Ephesians 2, is a gift of God. Love, Ephesians 2, is from God. And here we go. Look at how Christ-centered this conversion story is. That are in who? Christ Jesus. Mercy, grace, faith. Love are yours in Christ. See, people who have a faulty conversion story or a, or a misguided personal testimony, they don't know the overflowing effect of the mercy, grace, and faith and love of God. They don't know it. It's not sweet to their soul. In their minds, this is just a good, positive experience for them. You know, I used to be that gangsta kid or rugged whatever I pakalolo all day da 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 and then ever since I was going church ever since auntie or uncle so and so da 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 I just started to feel better about myself and now I'm on this this team and that stuff and I'm doing all this for the community and that's a great inspirational story of someone who's pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and trying to be better and if that's your definition of conversion or a personal testimony of Christ you're wrong. You will have done better stuff in your life. And when you and your life breathes its last and you expire, Matthew 7, I don't know you. You and I could do all the good works we can for society. And at the end of the day, and even be polite people. And at the end of the day, if we know not Christ, we die. And not only die, we go to hell. But Why? Because God is a holy God. And his standard is holiness and righteousness. And so no matter how much good I do, it's not enough to climb myself to heaven. That's why these false teachers were teaching Bible so bad. They were teaching it like the, the law is a stepladder that you can climb. And if you do this, do that. Don't marry. Eat this food. Right, you're going to make it. If, I, if you were to come to church and that's how we use the Bible to give you guys more steps to success. 
and to make it to the next life, good luck. For me, knowing who I am and how I'm wired in my sinful nature, okay, not a chance. But what if I told you that God sent his son and he came to this sinful world and he lived that perfect righteous life and he met all the standards and requirements that God said to meet and he suffered and bled and he chose to die on a tree, a death that he did not deserve. He lived a life that we could not live. So when he died a death that we deserve and he died and then he rose, he has the ability to call and repent and say, trust in me, I'll give you my righteousness. And better than that, I not only will show mercy, I'll give you grace, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. And you, Chris, though you are in your sinful flesh in me, you now can live the righteous life that I've called you to live. It's called you're going to grow into your sanctification. You'll be molded and shaped into Christ and walk this earth the way he walked. You're going to have that ability. It's, that's why Paul says, no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. This is awesome news. This is beautiful stuff. That's why in Paul's testimony, he's always bringing it back. It's all in Christ. It's not in me. You've got to hear that. If your soul has never heard that and believed that and saw that for what it is, and then you trusted in him, Lord, I must stop trying so hard. I'm actually exhausted from trying so hard to be good enough to win your favor. But if what you're telling me here is true, oh, my gosh. Oh, that sounds just so good. Almost too good to be true, God. That a, that, that a man like Paul can be as wretched as he was and then you saved him. Like, how can I? Is that possible? And then Paul says what in verse 15? The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Timothy, you can trust it. There's all these false sayings floating around and twisted teachings about who Jesus is. But hear me, you can trust this. This is trustworthy. This is legit. This is for real. This is Garen's. You can fully accept it. And I love this verse. It's one of those big powerhouse verses, like a John 3.16, because it's the gospel in a nutshell. What does it say? Christ. I love it. Christ came. Into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. Christ came. This is a huge word, Erkomai. Came and cosmos into the world. That means he didn't come into existence on Christmas, guys. Jesus was and always was. He always lived and he came into the world. That's huge. He came, he, he pursued, he chose to. It was not an accident, it was planned. Christ showed up. This is why on Christmas we say Mary, Christ Mass. And what really makes it Mary is because we understand who Christ was and why he came. But it's just so staggering to me that he would come anyway. You ever think about that? You've been stunned by that, Christian, in your soul? That this glorious king would come here? 
That's wild. That's why we're not God. If I was God and everyone was as bad as everyone is, just flood them. Just burn them up. Just kick that planet off. Let's start. But he came. Why? John 3.16. Loved. Romans 5. He demonstrated his own love. That while we're what? Sinners. This is incredible news. Because you have a God who pursued you. You know what Paul's testimony is supposed to do to us? It's for those of us who have these kind of thoughts. My life's too complicated for God to even care about. I am too depressed to be delivered. I am too broken. I am beyond repair. You ever have thoughts like that? Or you ever have friends that have thoughts like that? A testimony, a Christian testimony is meant to dispel those lies. Christ came. Why? To save sinners. You know what that tells me? He is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves the crushed in spirit. So if you have that thought in your heart tonight, that you are too complicated, too depressed, too downtrodden, too far off, too uttermost, to be repaired, to be redeemed, to be restored, Christ came for you. Why? Your heart says. And the Bible says, because I want you. I love you. You're mine. This is what stunned the Apostle Paul. And it's why he writes the way he writes. Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. I'm the foremost. I'm the chief. I'm the boss man when it comes to sin. You want to know how for sin? Just look at my life. I am that boss up brother. That's what Paul is saying. And Christ came for me. See, true gospel conversion, it's Christ-centered. And then he goes on. Verse 16, and I received mercy. Now he explains. He gives us a little bit more. For this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as the worst, Christ Jesus might, big word, display, indignity, manifest, point out, Show proof of, to put spotlight on. So here's the reason why God has converted me or saved me and why I'm telling you my testimony that Jesus Christ might display, show off what? You? Paul? So Paul can write a bunch of books about how he turned his life around and have a big following. <sighs> Welcome to the stage, the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Thank you for joining me this evening. I am the Apostle Paul. You know, and then just start a big movement like that and bring all that attention to himself. No. Display what? His. Who's his? Christ. His perfect patience. Here's the reason. Display his perfect patience. Love is patient. His perfect love. The true gospel conversion, it's Christ exalting. We're going to see in the rest of this. He's just going to start to praise him. This is the purpose for my testimony. Here's the purpose for your testimony if you have one, if you're truly saved. It's so that God might show off his glory through your life. 
so that when you tell people of your story, they end up leaving and thinking not how awesome and crazy you are, but your God is amazing. Can I know him? He's that patient with you. Can he be that patient with me? His perfect patience. Now look, as an example to those who were to believe. Who believes in Jesus tonight? Raise your hand. This testimony was meant to serve as an example for you and me and all who will come to faith in Christ. So we know for certain that salvation and conversion is a work of Christ start to finish. It's a work of God and God alone. That's why we love the five solas. Scripture alone teaches us this. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And what's the fifth sola? To the glory of God alone. Paul can't brag about this. It's all meant to display the perfect love of God. And it's meant to serve as an example. And then I love it, verse 17, he gets to exalting him to the king. To the king of the ages. I love that phrase, to the king. To the king of the ages. You know what ages means? It's just from generation to generation. There's no beginning, no end. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of forever. He's the forever king. Does that boggle your mind? That the forever king would love you, would pursue you, would come for you. We want affection from all sorts of people and places. How's this one? The king of kings, the king of the ages. I love that he says, to the king. You see what, Tim, what he's trying to do for Timothy and the reader? <laughs> Don't settle for that false stuff. Give the true gospel. I'm an example of the fruit of the true gospel. And you know what? This is so good. We just got to pause right now and sing doxology. To the king. To the king of the ages. To the chief, the Lord of lords. No other king in all of history has been like him. Come on, think about it. What other king? would humble himself and be a servant slave? What other king would exchange his crown for a crown of thorns? What king is like that? Read your history books. What king loves like that? There is no other king. To the king of the ages. Immortal. You know, that means everlasting. Death and sin has no sting on it. He can't, he can't touch him. But it's amazing, right? What other immortal king would come down and love mortal flesh and lay down his life to the king of the ages? Immortal, invisible. He's such a holy God. He's beyond your comprehension and what you can see. This God is so big. I can't wait to see him. Are you excited to see the king? The immortal, the invisible, this awesome king who would make his love so visible on the cross and continues to make his love visible through Christians like Paul and Christians here in Uanu. Our lives are meant to display and put on display imagery of this invisible God. So when people meet you and bump into you and hear how you talk and walk and why you think and feel the way you do, what makes you tick, man? What you smoking, Chris? I like some of that. 
you I don't know if you can handle, but it's good. You like Jesus is the King to the King. This Holy Spirit, this grace, this mercy, this peace, there's nothing like it. And to the only God, there is only one. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's one way, one God, one faith. This God, this Jesus, to the King of the ages. That's our King, church. That's my King, my God, your King, our God, whom we serve. So Paul is exalting him, and he's telling Timothy, in the midst of this charge to go do some serious work, he's pausing to doxology. This is so important to know because sister brought it up earlier, Michelle, in why, you know, in your conversion story, it must be Christ-centered. You must realize it's all a work of Jesus. But then there must be a place. It's so real to you that there must be a place where your heart starts to exalt him. Exalt. He's exalting. He's lifting him up. He's praising him. He's worshiping him. He's loving him. Why do you think in the Great Commission, it's interesting where he, he's talking about, you know, go therefore make disciples of all nations. You know what the disciples are doing before that? They're bowing down worshiping. And then he said to those guys, go make disciples. Paul is a worshiper. See, true conversion results in true Christ exaltation. It's worship. I think we can do it. I think we can get there. But let me read this and let's try to finish the text to 20. Philippians 2, it says this, Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he, this king of the ages, humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Is that in your testimony? You know, Brother Mark is getting baptized this month. Praise be to God. He's working on his testimony. Good. He's not in the house right now. I can talk about it. And he's so excited. Today he's like, 11 days. You know why that's so important to hear? Because that marks a true believer right there. He's exalting and exalting the king of kings that he's going to take the mark of baptism, plunge into the waters to show that I'm dead to my old life. This ain't about no Mark 2.0. This is dead Mark, and we're bringing him out of the waters because we should. We're bringing him out of the waters to show he's new. He's resurrected. He's not who he was anymore. And this is all possible by the blood of Christ to the king of the ages. And when Mark comes out of the baptism, when we do all our baptisms, everyone in the house ought to make a huge roaring noise. Why? Because we exalt who Christ is and what he's done and still doing. That's why we're stoked for each other. So I'm stoked for you when you choose to walk in obedience and do the hard thing of fighting the good fight of the faith, which is the next point. Um, and so... In your conversion, when you write out your testimony, ask yourself, is it Christ-centered? And then ask yourself this, are you filled with Christ's exaltation? Is your life marked by worship? Or is reading your Bible, praying, and singing Jesus music a chore? You got to do it. 
Because if that's the case, and if this is just a bunch of rules you're trying to keep, then let's dial it back and ask yourself, perhaps you got the wrong directions in the beginning of this whole thing. Perhaps someone mistaught you what Christianity was. Perhaps someone misguided you in what the gospel is. Perhaps you don't even truly know Christ. You see how this all connects? And so he closes, verse 18 to 20. We're just going to breeze through this, but try to hit the good parts. Um, I mean, the whole thing is good, but try to hit the main points. So right in the middle, he brings it back now to the charge, the original charge. So this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. So I'm affirming you. Others have affirmed you. That by them you may, now here's the thing, wage the good warfare. Holding faith, good conscience. Rejecting this, that some have shipwrecked their faith. Hymenius and Alexander, now he named some of these false teachers, these false elders. These guys shipwrecked their faith. They, they were swerving and wandering. And I had to hand them over to Satan. I had to kick them out of the church. Here's the hope. That they may learn to not blaspheme. But here's the thing that I want to make is the main point for this part. So he's telling him true gospel conversion is Christ-centered. True gospel conversion is Christ-exalting. This is the result of true gospel ministry, Timothy. And so here, as you're fired up, as we're doxologing together in verse 17, with that, imagine Timothy just being like, yeah, to the king. You know, he's like fired up now. With that heart now, Timothy, go and do what I told you to do in the first verses from 3 to 11. Step up. Stop these false teachers. I got it started with Aminius and Alexander. I got the ball rolling, but you got to finish the job, bro. Come on, kids, step up. Do this. And here's what I'm, what I'm hoping to glean from this. True gospel ministry is a good fight. It is a good fight. Notice, though, it's interesting. Paul says, anytime he uses this military language in all his letters, he says good warfare. Later in 2 Timothy, fight the good fight. I fought the good fight and I finished the race. That's just fascinating to me. Because some people think, like what Michael was bringing, alluding to earlier, there is no good warfare. War is bad. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for war. All of us here tonight, you fighting. You fighting something. You fighting someone. Maybe, yeah. Some of us in fights right now. But here's a question. Is it good? Is it a good fight? Is it, is it a fight worth fighting for? This is a noble fight. It's a noble war. Why? Because we have a good gospel that actually saves people. We have a king who's immortal and visible. He is everything he says he is. He is all that. We have a Jesus who is all that and more. And, and if anyone's going to try to confuse this gospel, church, we got to step up and fight for it. Gospel ministry is a fight. You wonder week in and week out why it's hard to get here. You wonder why it's hard to pray sometimes. You wonder why it's hard to read your Bible on your own. You wonder why you look at your Bible sometimes and it's just hard to get it open. Well, let the Bible speak to you. You're in a war. There's a war going on. You know when I close my eyes to pray, I'll close my eyes and I'll ask the Lord in, in, a, in a faint of a thought, open my eyes to the reality of what's going on around me. Because right now, physically, I see physical stuff. But there's a spiritual warfare going on. Ephesians 6. Why does Paul say put, put on your armor, the full armor? Because you will need it. Why does he say in Corinthians, we wage war, but not with weapons of the world? So now he's recommissioning Timothy back into this fight. 
And I just want to use it and help us to see tonight. Gospel clarity results in true gospel conversion, true gospel ministry, and true gospel ministry is a good fight. And here's the thing, guys, though. The king's already won. You're more than a conqueror, Romans says. I'm a soldier of Christ. You ever think of yourself like that? That's the terms he's using. Come on, Timmy, step up. Go wage that. Get in the fight. Beef. You got this in Christ. So, we're, we're in this fight right now. And, and as we continue through the book of Timothy, he's going to show us how to wage the warfare. How to fight right. The next chapter is about prayer. The next chapter is about church leadership and how to fight together as a family. So, to go back to the beginning of this whole thing. Do you have the right directions? Do you have sound doctrine? Do you have gospel clarity? I encourage all, all of us to do this tonight or this week. Because maybe you've never done it. I don't know if, if, if you've never shared your testimony before. I'm not telling you to go share it, but I'm just telling you to first do this. Try and just write it out. And, and, and be honest. Ask yourself, when did you first hear of God in the gospel? And when did you first hear of it? And then ask yourself, when did your heart first believe it? When did you first hear of God in the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done? Like, when was that? Find that time. Find that day. But then when, was, when did your heart first believe it? And then what has happened since? What change? What transformation has happened? Just try and see what happens. And here's my next encouragement. If you're having a hard time navigating through that, then perhaps you got some wrong directions. And I would plead with you, and even if it may be tonight, let's, let's look at the book closer and make sure you got the right directions. Let's make sure you got good, sound doctrine, clear gospel clarity. I hope these messages are helping you because you don't want to miss out on Christ. He's so good. I could preach a lot of things. I could preach about how cool surfing is and how much brownies are awesome. Even golf, even though I'm just a beginner. But I could preach Christ so much harder and better than that. Because he is. This is worth fighting for. New Orleans Baptist, we have to fight for the gospel. I'm unashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for those who believe. You believe that? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we sing this final song, oh, you would really make it real that we are singing to the King, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, and to the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. To think that in this church, when I look at my brothers and sisters here of who we formerly were and who we are now in Christ, it is mind-blowing. There is examples and testimonies in this place of amazing miracles and grace. And oh, I, I thank you that you did not just save us to save us, but you saved us to send us. Paul says, 
that he was saved, but then he also was appointed to go. And so, Lord Jesus, please, I pray for everyone tonight that we'd be crystal clear on our conversions, that we would know who we are in Christ, that if any man be in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come, and that would be absolutely crystal clear for our hearts. We would have a blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. And let it be true. Let it be true, Lord Jesus. We love you. We love you, Lord Jesus, our King, our God, our Savior. It's to you we sing now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please join me in standing as we sing. Oh
it with your glory by taking up your cross, Lord. We thank you, Lord, and give you the glory. Uh, may you lead us now in this time of fellowship and throughout the rest of this week. In your name, amen. Go in his peace. <laughs>